As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Late night Midnight on the interstate And I didn't feel so great Welcome back to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Uh, to join The Athletic, theathletic.com slash straight from the source. We'll get you in for two ninety nine a month. We're uh, coming to you today from the beautiful Costa Mesa Weston. I'm joined by Kevin Gorg from Fox Sports North, Dan Myers from Wild.com. I like to call them Mutt and Jeff on the road. They're always together, best buddies. Lloyd uh, and Harry. We are the Lloyd and Harry of wild uh, travel. That's and, true. And you are the... Uh, and you are the Rink Report co-host today. Yes, we did do today's Rink Report. I thought it was lovely. One take wonders today out in the uh, beautiful <laughs> weather, and it's sunny, mid-60s. Doesn't feel like hockey weather, but it feels like spring, which makes me think of wild hockey in the playoffs, which is what we're trying to get accomplished with another big win here this afternoon, Mr. Myers. I feel like Kevin Gorg, by the way, the in-between periods interview. <laughs> Except Kevin does the thing where he, he puts the mic out, and then he... Backs out of the camera view. It's brilliant. Ke- Kevin, Brilliance a stretch. Kevin, uh, t- tell me about your uh, your first interview with Brad Hunt on the uh, on FSN. That's still one of my funny, uh, like the funny one that well, I. Well, we both or all three of us know what a great guy Brad Hunt is, and he's a really fun guy to interview. He's outgoing, and so we get done. And most times when you get done with a player, they walk back to the room, and I do my my normal. Hey, we're back after this short break. It's two one after two periods. <laughs> Well, not only does he stand there next to me, but he wants to give me the high five. And I wasn't ready for this, so I put my fist out. He's got the high five going, we look like a couple of buffoons. <laughs> so it was adorable on his part. Great guy, but one of the weirdest moments in my tenure as sideline reporter. He is uh, – so I did a, a, a father-son uh, roundtable with his dad a couple weeks ago, and, uh, and he said that in that roundtable that, that he taught Brad that, hey – uh, you know, it doesn't take a lot to say hi. If somebody says hi to you, you say hi back. And he taught him essentially to be a friendly, friendly human being. And is there any friendlier person, Dan, than you've covered? I mean, this guy, he walks out of the room. There could be nobody there. And he'll, he'll, he'll turn to you and go, see you guys. Oh, absolutely. And it's not even just in the settings where you think kind of he has to be nice. Like, we'll get on the <laughs> airplane. And, you know, so we'll go up the stairs, get in the plane, take a right. And he'll be kind of the last player we see before we get back to the area we call the pigeon coop, where we all <laughs> sit back with the trainers in the back of the plane. And on more than one occasion, he'll stop me and ask me how I'm doing. You know, if it's been a, if there was a day off the day before, hey, how, you know, what'd you do yesterday? You know, like <laughs> he he just cares about stuff that he shouldn't 
probably care about and you know that I certainly wouldn't care about if I were in his position and you're right like he's just genuine and he like he genuinely cares about the people around him and you can tell he was he was raised very very well because he's he does the hi guys every <laughs> single time and uh just a great dude great dude so it's good to see him have the success he's having and be able to carve out a career for him because you want Good things, I think, to happen to good people. He filled out the Nate Prosser nice guy role on this team. <laughs> That's though. very true. Yeah. Gorgi, uh, uh, another interview that I always enjoy watching is whenever you're interviewing Jordan Greenway. Just because, <laughs> just because you are. Yeah, I'm sure you do enjoy that. <laughs> because you are, you and Doobie, too. I mean, you are well, staring straight up. I'm, I'm, a, I'm 5'9", all right? So I get it. I'm short next to everybody outside of Hunt and Spurgeon on this roster. But when you get that that greenway next to me and he's a foot taller on skates it is funny i mean it looks funny on tv our camera guys whether we're home or away always chuckle and it's the same thing with doobie it, it's part of the fun and you know i love i love the big rig in general i love the crooked smile i love <laughs> how he he does at, at his age still kind of just speak from the heart he doesn't have canned answers and i really appreciate that because i think as as players get older they start to realize that they don't have to directly answer our questions, but he's still at that age where he really does, and he's got some interesting things to say. I think it's your guy Russo's slacks, too, that when, whenever the interview comes <laughs> yes. out, I, I laugh every single time. It's Andre the Giant next to Mean Gene Okerlund. <laughs> it's perfect. It's yeah. priceless because you put them next to each other, and it looks exactly the same. There is the other funny thing that Russo Slacks do, and I really don't want to turn this. Michael's uh, account, by the way. Yeah, I really do not want to turn this into a Russo Slacks thing. But whenever the Wild are down by two (laughs) or up by two, all of a sudden you you just you just you just know that uh, you just know that a picture of Gorg's face and some sort of look. Like I don't know if he's got. He's got 500 a pictures. pictures. I don't know who this clown is, but he's got <laughs> He must have, like, a catalog of Gorg pictures. Which makes me nervous because yeah. the only other person with that catalog is Kevin Faulness, and we know what a weirdo he is. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, Corey, uh, the, one, the one thing, and we I've done a podcast already with Dan, who, by the way, if you want to buy his book, 100 Things, uh, what, what, what's it called again? 100 Things Wild Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Yeah, if you want to find read. that, Google that and, uh, and purchase that book. Um, but, Corey, uh, I mean, a lot of people don't. Like everybody knows, I think at this point, you know, you were a high school goaltender, won a state tournament. You once, uh, you were, you were ahead of your time with the, uh, with the camera, camera on top on of your helmet. head. Yep, you, you actually, you actually uh, did a game with a camera on the it helmet. Was a GoPro before the GoPro. Yeah, yeah. that's the like, beauty of Just think of, it was, of millions of dollars that you could have had. Well, if you came up with that idea, and I should have. Yes. And again, it was right there in front of me. 1985, they took duct tape and put an old, you know, basically the oldest version of a. Uh, camcorder taped to my helmet and then I had like a two foot cord tied to the crossbar so I was a dog on a leash and then every knucklehead on my team who was circled up at the at the top of the circle was shooting pucks at my head because they wanted to see if they could hit the camera and so it ended up being a really cool thing on channel four they did a follow-up the next year when I was in Des Moines and they were way ahead of their time Mm -hmm. and it was fun and uh, I still get teased about it today. The, um, but how did you get into broadcasting? Because that, that to me is the most fascinating thing. I remember when I first got to town and you started working for FSN and I'd see it between periods. I'm like, who is that guy? And then you started actually getting to travel around with the Wild and, and, and getting to know you all these years. Yeah, I've been with the, the Wild since 06. And it was a, you're right, it was a strange way to get there. But I had minored in sports broadcasting at St. Thomas when I went to college there. I, I was a majored in teaching and coaching I wanted to be a coach so I coached high school hockey I had coached women's college hockey and in the meantime I had got hired out at Canterbury Park but before all of that I did high school hockey games with LaPanta on the radio and then on local cable and he was working for an outfit called KBL out of White Bear Lake and I'll never forget it because we would do all the sectional games when my team and normally when I coached at Burnsville and Moundsview, unfortunately we were usually bounced into the first or second round of the playoffs so then I would go work with Anthony and I'll never forget it because I'd call home and say, hey, we're doing the White Bear Lake Hill Murray game tonight. My dad would be, that's so cool. Like, what time is it on? Well, tape delay at 2 a.m. Oh, he'd say, well, good luck. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so we'd do all these games, and, and I got started in 2000 out of Canterbury. And then LaPanta had become kind of a big deal at MSC, which turned into Fox Sports North. And in 06, they were down a hockey guy. And they were a little short-staffed. He called me up and said, listen, we need you to come out and do the hour-long pregame show 
and the hour-long post-game show. It was opening night. Back then, games were on FSN and Channel 45. Opening night was Channel 45, so all LaPant and FSN had was the pre and post. I'll never forget it. I get there on time, ready to go, on the set, wired up. The guy that's bringing me in, not there, nowhere to be found, <laughs> and I'm sitting there. I don't know anybody, right? It's my first time on the set. It was basically a, a trial to see if they'd like uh, to hire me as a part-time analyst, and dummies nowhere to be found. Yeah. And so he comes walking in 10 minutes before we hit the air, the, the smile on his face. Hey, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, well, we're kind of ready to go here, dummy. And uh, I'll, I won't forget it because within the hour-long pregame show, we did a preview of the season, and I predicted the Penguins to win the Stanley Cup. It was Crosby's senior year, er, rookie year. I had seen him at Shattuck. They finished last in the <laughs> entire league. Yeah. But Eddie, I got hired. Eddie Olchuk was the coach of that team, right? Yep. Yep. I got hired um, as a part-time analyst. I was still coaching the women at St. Thomas, and the next year it went well enough where they asked me to leave coaching and do this on a full-time basis, and I'm happy that I did. It's been outstanding ever since, but you're right. Um, not the typical path to get there. By the time I started in broadcasting, let me just do the math in my head. I was in my late 30s, mm-hmm. and you know, so that, that isn't typical. But uh, you know, because I'm local, because I played and, and coached locally, and because I got in early when, when the FSN was really just building their wild fan base, I think it's been a, a really good situation over the years for me to kind of get entrenched in the hockey market. And how did you get into horse handicapping? Well, that was honestly, horse racing came to me when I had never seen a horse race in my life until my senior year of high school. Canterbury Downs at the time opened up in Shakopee. And so spring of senior year, it was the place to kind of be. So a bunch of us uh, guys after school, which got out at 2 o'clock, decided on a whim to drive down for a 4 o'clock post on like a Friday. We walked in, had no idea what we were doing. We bought a program. We bet way too many horses and way too many races and ended up losing money but having the time of our lives. And I left there thinking, I didn't know what I was doing, and I had a blast. What if I started to actually figure this stuff out? So I, I, I bought a bunch of books. I found some VHS cassettes that were like tutorials. I studied, and I spent most of my college years spending as much time looking at horse racing as I did at my studies, which probably shows in my grade point <laughs> average. But by the time I got out of St. Thomas in the early 90s, I kind of knew what I was doing. And then in 2000, I had won a couple of contests for handicapping the horses at Canterbury. I had represented the track in Las Vegas at the national tournament. And that year, the job opened up. So in 2000, I went out there, interviewed for the job, did a test video uh, preview in the paddock out of Canterbury, got hired. And for 10 years, I was their television analyst. Wow. And now you still do your uh, your Gorgs. Uh, tip sheet. T- yeah, tip sheet. That yeah, you buy right at the front of Canterbury. Yeah, Gorgs Power Plays. It's got the hockey tie yep. in. It's got the hockey sticks and the horses on the, uh, on the cover. It's a green sheet because green is the color of money, as we all know. And that's what we're there to do is help people make money. And the tie to the wild is, besides me, my top seller of the tip sheets is Alexis Pearson, who works for the Wild Radio Network with Kevin Falness, who's done some state tournament games on the radio on KFAN, and who looks like she's got a really bright future in, in broadcasting. Yeah, and she does also the 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 women's uh, professional league games too. The uh, and that that it's I mean it's cheap too. You buy two bucks, two bucks, same to... price it was by the way. Yeah, when they opened the doors in yeah. 1985, it's the one thing out there. That remains the same. I said uh, when we walked into the Staples Center dining room yesterday to the guy that uh, that you buy your ticket from, I said this is the only arena in the league that the price has not gone up in the years that I've covered seven the league. Seven bucks. Seven bucks. The mess hall in L.A. Yeah. and it's a top five. Dan, yeah. would you agree? We did the rankings just a couple weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, we should do the rankings. Myers is the, the chairman room. here. Tell us if L.A. is indeed a top five mess hall. Well, after further <laughs> review yesterday um, – L.A., and, and we had, uh, I, I forget who the guy's name was he sat down, but he's a guy who's local, and he said, yeah, it's, it's gone downhill here in recent years, and I don't know, the breakfast yesterday was pretty good. We had a nice uh, eggs, <laughs> bacon, and the sausage. It was solid. Um, there are some uh, other franchises that are starting to pick it up, Detroit. Although it does yeah, not Detroit is at all agree with me, so I probably you know have to keep them down in my personal rankings. But it looks good. Montreal with the toasty dogs is fantastic. Explain what the toasty dogs are. It is a piece of toast with a hot dog on it, and it does not sound special or even good. Maybe to some people listening to this, but I don't know. I don't know what so it is about how they they do the 
Uh, they, you know, I think they butter both sides of the bread, and they <laughs> throw it on the griddle there, and it nice golden brown. It's very, very good. What uh, what would you say the bottom five would be? Uh, without I, I hate, Florida, I hate ripping. Florida would be thirty one. Well, no, actually, in our rankings that we did, we actually do have rankings of this. We can show it to you later today. Florida's uh, thirty one. Uh, no, Las Vegas. Las Vegas is thirty one. Yeah, it is not Which good. It's surprising because. Vegas is one of the coolest arenas I've ever been to. The game yeah. atmosphere is second to none, but they have put no work into the media mess mess hall. Florida, uh, Islanders, Vegas, those three kind of duel at the bottom. Rangers are down there too. Rangers are middle. They're a middler. I uh -huh. mean, Dan literally. I mean, the cool thing is he – and we were in Detroit doing these rankings last week, and some of the wild brass were at our table watching us put – and we worked on it for an hour plus – and it, we, there were arguments, and there were people chiming in. Ryan Carter had some strong opinions. But legitimately, we ranked it from top to bottom. And we had, uh, you know, again, the bottom five and the top five were the, the most discussed. But it was a lot of fun to kind of Ottawa's down it. there too, right? Ottawa's. Ottawa is down there. We have Right now, we have three sets of rankings complete. Okay. We what would be the, the top five? The top five mess halls? Yeah. I think Detroit's uh, number Detroit, one now. They went from Detroit. 31st to 1st. Excuse me. We have Detroit, Montreal, Chicago uh, is, you know, second to none. Tampa, I, I have Tampa personally in top my rankings. Plenty of good options. Great. Carolina's up there. Uh, Carolina's sneaky good. Calgary is also sneaky good with the Alberta beef. Um, you, know, you, get, you know, you get the one through four. You go Detroit, Montreal, Chicago, and Tampa are really kind of a clear-cut four. After that, from five to eight or nine, you can pretty much pick out of a hat. It depends on, on the game and what you're getting on that particular uh, night. But Where's the place that we always get taco? Oh, that's here in Anaheim. And in like Denver. Every time you're here, it's taco night. Denver. Denver is another one. Anaheim's more towards the bottom. But I think last time we were here, they had – Something good. I can't remember what it was. It moved up a couple spots in my rankings, and they also have the ice cream sandwiches <laughs> here, which is very good. Um, but we have, we now have completed. We have uh, top mess halls all the way through. We have hotels, and then we have arenas. We yeah. did, we did, we actually ranked the arenas yesterday, and today we were talking about putting together just cities. So it's it's really fun to kind of see. You know, there's some teams where. They're really high up in the arena, and they're down in the mess hall, or they're high in the hotel, and they're going to be down in the city. Um, you know, every every city has something. Now, there's the cheap shot at Winnipeg. Now, Kevin and I have debated this um, in terms of our lease areas. We can debate it publicly right now if you want, Mike. You can chime in. Okay. Uh, not huge fans of Winnipeg. Uh, I'm personally not a huge fan the of Edmonton. Honestly, the people in Winnipeg are as nice as it gets, but... I, I just have a hard time with what you do in the middle of winter in Winnipeg. Mm. Where we stay, there aren't a lot of options. No. Shark Club is about the only place to really have a decent meal, watch some other games, uh, and hang out. But, there, you know, you're, you're in the tunnels. You can't get any fresh air. The rink <laughs> has the fake noise chimed in. Their arrival. Um, lately, the games haven't gone well there. You just walk out. You just can't wait for the wheels to be up and to be on your way back to MSP. I mean, that's the highlight of the trip for me. <laughs> well, and where the difference for me comes in, why I like, I prefer myself Winnipeg a little more than Edmonton is, you know, it's an hour flight home, fifty-five minute flight home. Where when you're coming back from Edmonton, or even we've had a single game this year, we came back from Calgary. You know, you lose an hour on the way back. It's a two and a half hour flight. You're not getting back to Minneapolis till three thirty. Uh, Edmonton, you got the long bus ride back to the airport. It's always cold and snowy. It's got to be tough flying on those charters. Yeah, and that's and ultimately that's you know, hey, we we fly pretty good. And no matter what you think of any city, we're we're not staying at the Super Eight. And nothing against the Super Eight, we stay in outstanding places. Uh, you know, a lot of what we do, what we're talking about right now, is all in good fun. There, you know, every city has parts of it that are fantastic. Uh, we only get to see small parts of it usually. And I'm sure Winnipeg's fantastic. When we were there in April for the playoffs a couple of years ago, it wasn't terrible. When you're when you're able to walk outside, so much of it I think is just you know the sun being out every once in a while, getting a little fresh air. Um, wasn't too bad then, but it can be pretty dreary in the wintertime. You're listening to uh, Straight from the Source with uh, Dan Myers and Kevin Gorg. 
uh, again, to subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Uh, we have not only articles galore, 400 writers uh, throughout the U.K., Canada, and the U.S. Uh, podcasts everywhere. P.A. Parento is on Point Breakaway with Shane O'Brien and Josh Cooper this week. And um, let's see. Um, is Russo's Tunes, is that a part of uh, the cartoon, Russo's Cartoons? Is that guy a part of The Athletic? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I, th- I think he might be. That one. Have you that seen, have you seen yeah, the that's Russo's my latest. Uh, the latest parody count. Yeah, um, Gory. Let's uh, talk a little bit. Uh, we, we mentioned Winnipeg, and the one thing that you uh, that you said that kind of struck my mind uh, was you said how the games haven't gone well there lately. Um, let's talk a little bit about this wild schedule coming up here. Now, uh, to to. Uh, Point of full disclosure: we're, we're we're recording this before the Anaheim game. In my mind, in Gorg's mind, I think in Dan's mind, uh, although Dan works for the team, so he probably can't say this. It's a must win. It sure feels like it, and Dan does yeah. not disagree. We okay. We talked a little bit this morning uh, before we did the rink report for that game. How important these two points are, and it was interesting talking to Ryan Carter a few minutes ago before we came on the air here about how difficult it is to play teams like LA and Anaheim, who have, if you look at the standings, nothing to play for, but have a bunch of players with so much to play for for next year. And he mentioned a guy named David Backus, who we've seen for years, a Minnesota State guy that I know Dan has a ton of respect for, one of my favorite players to watch on and off the ice, just a tremendous human being. But he's playing for basically another year of his career. This Mm -hmm. is it. And this is his last chance to really show teams, whether it's Anaheim or somebody else, what he has left. Then you look at some of the young players. We saw uh, Lizot yesterday for the Kings, a Minnesota kid, who's got a ton to play for. Carter's point was, listen, late in the year when you're playing Washington and St. Louis, you know, the Wild had that killer road trip at the end of the year. Those are teams that are probably going to either be locked into a spot or saving their best shot for the first round of the playoffs. Right now, playing teams like LA and Anaheim, you're getting complete, desperate hockey teams. So, yes, it's a must-win tonight, but you're playing a goalie that hasn't played in two weeks in Devin Dumnik, who figures to be a little bit rusty, and you're playing a team in Anaheim that's coming off another nice win yeah. like LA against Toronto, who's no different than the Wild right now. That's always my concern because the Wild have had almost no practice time lately. So, Doobie, the first shots he's going to be seeing in a while at this, at this morning skate with Victor Rash shooting at him, and then um, – warm-ups and stuff like that so this is this is a tough tough game tonight and and that's why I a part of me wondered if they would just come back with Staylock even though he struggled last night um come back with him and just try to get him in this game because they've you know the biggest thing is that if you don't win this game then you sit for four days before you play Vegas and then you go to play the hottest team in the league in Philly uh Wild have 75 points right now they have 14 games left in the season we just figured it out Eighth place Nashville is on pace for 91.6 points. So in your mind, Gorg, nine wins at a minimum. At a minimum. you got to go nine and five. You got 14 games left. Six of them are at home. Uh, you got to find a way to win nine. And that sounds daunting, but if they play the way they've played in the last three or four weeks, that's the pace they've been playing at. You have to win two of every three games. And so when you've got some of the big dogs on the schedule, like Colorado, like St. Louis, like Washington, even Vegas, you play a team like Anaheim after a loss in L.A., this is a game you got to win. And I looked at the numbers. In my mind, you got seven games where the Wild are going to be favored, seven games where they're going to be an underdog. So winning nine is not going to be easy. So these are the days where you hope, even though it's third game in four nights, you mentioned the doobie factor. Uh, this is a team that I think will bounce back and hopefully play one of their stronger games because they have to look at the schedule and know just how difficult the road ahead is going to be. And I think this game kind of sets you up for success or failure later this week when you get some time to kind of recharge, you don't play till next Thursday against Vegas, and then you have another really tough weekend next weekend. Philly's the hottest team in the league right now. Yeah. You're at Philly for a matinee Saturday. You're back home for another showdown against Nashville. who will be looking for payback. So this game to me is paramount. And, Dan, uh, I mean, uh, not only is this game paramount, but of those nine wins, I mean, you better get some wins against – you have one game in Winnipeg, and then you have one game at home against Nashville on a second or back to get back after the Philly game with travel, and then you have the uh, final game of the regular season in Nashville. Those those two games against Nashville and one game against Winnipeg could be make or break. Absolutely, and that that's, again, what makes this game against Anaheim so important because if you don't win this game against Anaheim – now those games against Winnipeg and Nashville, not only are they must-win games, but you've got to look somewhere else on the schedule and go pick off, whether it's in Philly next week, whether it's in Washington the last week of the season, where you're going to be a substantial underdog. You don't win today. Now you're going to have, you're going to, have to 
go into one of those arenas and find a way to get two points. And it's you guys have hit on all the points. I mean, today is is critically important. Um, just got a text from a uh, former NHL coach asking if sources. Uh, so, are you guys allowed in locker rooms still? <laughs> Let's talk about that. Um, you know who that coach was. Um, so the. <laughs> I'm sure he'd be thrilled with the developments. Um, let's talk about this whole uh, thing. I mean, you know, here's here's my issue with the whole coronavirus not going in the locker room. You know, uh, and I'm not I'm not I don't want to even debate the fact that that we have to have, be in there to cultivate sources mm-hmm. and be able to shoot the breeze yeah, and I have, have off the record exact conversation. Same debate I think you're going to start here. But my, my biggest thing is the optic, the, the the false optics here that the league is trying to do something. This is the same league that. And I don't want to rip them because they're the one that gave me the scoop. But this is the same league that within five seconds of the Santa Clara uh, Public Health Department's recommending that the San Jose Sharks cancel the Minnesota Wild game, emailed me back and said the game is not going to be canceled. Mm-hmm. And now they're saying that on the advice of the CDC, which I haven't seen this advice, by the way, or the rationale for the advice, uh, reporters aren't allowed in the locker room temporarily because of the potential of the coronavirus. And this is a... Here's here's my issue, and I want to kind of paint a little bit of a picture for the fans because the Wild did this for the first time yesterday against the LA Kings. Is first of all how dumb it is that the league essentially gives this to the rights holders without telling any of the teams. None of the teams knew that they were going to do this, and then they give the teams no direction. So now you have some teams like Florida letting the team letting reporters in their locker room yesterday. You have some teams like the Islanders put it, pull, pulling people into press rooms. You have teams like the Wild who just did it in the hallway. And so now you have the same reporters that would be going to the locker room pulling the same players out of the locker room into a public setting, the most jam-packed hallway that you can ever imagine with all sorts of hangers-on just going by with carts and workers going by with food and you know strangers squeezing by you yep. and what is this accomplishing like they just played a game in front of 20,000 fans okay in LA yesterday they just breathed on each other bumped into each other spit on each other sweat on each other for a 60 minute hockey game and 10 reporters are going to go in the locker room and spread the coronavirus well, and and by the way like tonight in Anaheim, is Victor Rask allowed in the press box? Because if he is, isn't he going to go into the locker room and take whatever he just got in the press box without the media? This is exactly I mean, this is what just I so was, ridiculous. This is my argument. I'll preface whatever I'm going to say here by as an employee of the team. This is my personal opinion. This is not of my employer. I want to get that out there. But I agree with you in, you know, whether we're allowed in the locker room or not. This was my point last night when we were out with some colleagues is – Zach Parisi has a better chance of contracting coronavirus. Hope he doesn't, but he has a better chance of contracting it by going to, you know, Cub Foods in Edina. Yeah, when he goes grocery, you're going to quarantine he, the players when he, you know, drops his kids off at school. When, you know, why the why the media is the the group that is, I, I guess, sort of punished. Um, you know that that's the million dollar question. I think it's, you know. It's hey, we are gross. I get it, but uh, hopefully it's just a first step. Hopefully, you know, we can figure out a way uh, as a as a nation here to show a little bit of leadership for the first time in a couple of years. Uh, it is find yeah, a way to just, to get some people yeah. tested. And we've had arguments. I had an argument uh, with a more conservative uh, colleague last night who doesn't want not to make this political, but he doesn't want to put any sort of blame on the leadership in this country and the problem with this virus right now is we can say well only uh you know 600 people have or whatever that number is in a country of 300 million we don't really know because no one's been tested that number could be way higher we could be the three of us could be sitting here right now and be carrying it we don't know because we haven't been tested we don't know and that's the scary part i think about this pandemic is that you know, some people get have it, get really sick, and they pass away. Unfortunately, some people have it, and they sit here and they they're fine. Like it, it's it's different with everyone, but it uh, it certainly is changing well, the way a, we do our jobs. Yeah. That's well, sure. and and look, hey, 
The Wild, uh, Megan did an ama- amazing job yesterday. We uh, There's nobody that we needed yesterday that she couldn't get us. We got everybody we wanted. They said the same things in the hallway that they would have said us in the locker room. So, like, I'm not, uh, you know, that to me, this is not the issue. My issue, the broader thing, is that how the league is pretending like they're doing something about this coronavirus to make it to to distract you away from the fact that these county public health departments have said do not play the games with fans in there so what they do is they immediately don't take that advice and play the game in San Jose the other day where there are people that have been have played both sides of it, you know that's and then exactly they, they, what they're doing. the next day what they do to distract you from that fact is they say reporters can no go no longer go in the locker room, and let me just promise you, other leagues are laughing at the NHL's reaction at this. Like the Major League Baseball is not going to do it, and um, and it's just it's to me it's just a bogus kind of you know th- just distraction to of the real issue. I have a question too: is now that that access has been taken away, mm-hmm. will media get that access yeah. back that's the million dollar question i'm assuming because players some players are relishing i'm this. assuming for Man. the rest of this season uh this is going to be how it goes and like you said mike like it is what it is for us it, it doesn't yeah. make our job like, that even, much harder like it's not that big of a deal from yeah. a day-to-day perspective for us we're still going to get our well, our stories but bill bill garen said to me in the press room yesterday he goes i know you you're still going to call the players and text the players after the game anyway exactly so get your so story nothing so, will change on that part yeah but are there, you know, will this be the first step in removing media from the locker room? Now, I, I'm not here to say whether that's good or bad, but it's just different. And I'll be curious to see, assuming this thing subsides over the course of the summer and we come back to things next fall, that things are copacetic in that regard, is are we going to be allowed back in the dressing room or is this a permanent change well and and my my biggest issue is that and and not i know i said i wouldn't give it the whole thing about being in the locker room how important it is but like you know i'm thinking about like earlier in february i did a story before i mean coincidentally before kevin fiala's hot streak where i did that story where the lead was paul fenton was right um that story was not something I planned. I showed up at practice, and all of a sudden, Fiala was sitting alone in his stall, and I grabbed him and sat with him for 15 minutes. Those are the best and, kinds. Though, and though, that is something you cannot do anymore. Right. Because now it's just going to be what we call, you know, it's going to be a scrum with other reporters. It's way different, and, too, when they're, when they're in front of a group of people as to opposed to having that one-on-one, just conversational Here's what I'm working on. Here's what I've been through. Here's what I'm thinking. They open up far more in a setting like that in the locker room where you found him. And I, you know, I always say like Marco Scandello is the king of that. You guys know. Oh. You get Marco Scandello with a bunch of cameras in face. He stands up and he's deer in headlights. Deer in headlights. But you now get those cameras away and just sit with him at his stall, and he's, he's unbelievable. Awesome. And that is the problem now. Is that um, and and again, athletic subscribers I think are going to be could potentially see the effects of this because. One of the great things that we do at The Athletic is write these in-depth stories that we get with one-on-one time, personal time. Same thing with you, Dan. And Wild.com subscribers will certainly not see any fall off in the quality <laughs> of the work. It will be grade-A quality. Yeah, you'll just cozy up to them on your charter that you whined about before. But I, honestly, though, as I look at the landscape of this, when I do my in-game hits as a sideline reporter – more than three-quarters of them are from these conversations you're yes. talking about where you're in the locker room, you kind of bounce stall to stall, and sometimes nothing comes of it. You're just talking about shooting the breeze about whatever they've been up to and whatever they've been doing. But once in a while you stumble into something really cool, and then you can bring that out on the broadcast. Whereas now, having to bring a guy out, I won't be the only one there. It won't be conversational. It just It's a bigger challenge. And so I, I understand that we'll all be okay, yeah. and we'll figure it out. Like you said, post-game yesterday, we got through it. It just won't be as good. Yeah. And, I, and I, you know, mentioned how dumb this was on Twitter yesterday. And, again, it's not, it's, this has nothing to do with the whole locker room thing. My, my point is, is, that, is, is how dumb this response is, is that, the fit, is that the same players are being pulled out to the locker room to talk to the same reporters, now only in a public setting with who knows who's walking by. I mean, just workers that have been – I mean, essentially working in the kitchens, cleaning up joints. I mean, yesterday we're interviewing Jared Spurgeon, Dan and me, and, and Wild.com, uh, the camera 
people in the, in the hallway yesterday, and they're they're cleaning people walking by with freaking mops and stuff, and and we're and they're squeezing by us because we're in their way, and that, this is what the league's done to protect these players from getting coronavirus. It is the dumbest dumbest thing, and and you know what? The even dumber is the fact that they, the reason why that we were probably in this hallway is because these teams don't have direction on how they were supposed to do this in the first place. Because the league didn't put out a memo. They, they leaked this to the rights holders on a Saturday with the memo coming on a Monday. I mean, it's just, it's just so typical well, if NHL. You, if you believe the report that uh, I know Elliot Freeman, I don't know if you had it or not too, but uh, you know, talking about how the MLB and – NBA is expected to follow, and it well, took about ten minutes yes, for reporters that, in Major League Baseball to go. Uh, no, that's not. Yeah, the, so the league, the same thing. The league essentially told, uh, tried to group everybody in that this was going to happen in conjunction with the other leagues. And in hindsight, it sounds like the NBA is at least considering it, while MLB is like, uh, no. You know, everybody's trying to come up with all sorts of, you know, I mean, you saw in the press box at Staples Center yesterday. Suddenly, we had a thing at Purell or whatever was up there, and I'm good with all that. I'm certainly washing my hands. Uh, I love how, it, like, isn't it funny that, like, you, like, it takes a pandemic to get people to just wash their hands at every second? Common sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we should probably just do that in normal uh, habits. It'll so. be interesting to see, too, and this is another one of the reasons why I think the NHL is taking this step. And I, I'm not saying it's the right move to make, but if we get to a point here and we're already seeing it in Europe where they're playing sporting events in front of empty arenas, you know, the NBA can better withstand uh, something like that happening because they have these lucrative TV deals. NHL teams count on gate revenue. I mean, they count on that as a part of their bottom line. And if the NHL has to get to a point where they're playing in front of empty houses and they have to refund that money, I mean, that's going to be – I don't think folks understand just how – gigantic of a development that will be oh, not absolutely. only from your from your watching at home standpoint like I think fans would get over that but that is going to change fundamentally how most teams in the NHL are able to operate and it, it's going to have and that's, sweeping effects on this and that is forward. partially my point is that that's why they're doing this to distract you from that because the league will never go that route like trust me it would t- it takes so much for the league to want to to cancel a game or postpone a game the wild had their equipment destroyed in 2009 with the with the norovirus also going throughout the locker room by the way that's right and the league would not give them even the uh, like they they made it extremely abundantly clear figure it out you're we not are not canceling cancel this game, game. Right. and and coincidentally well, the wild had an equipment fire i don't yeah. think i've read that story all yep. right there. yep uh I'll, I'll tweet it out for you just in case yeah i will i will uh brad hunt he wants uh let me uh, tag along with him after being traded oh boy really good stories you can read in the athletic the athletic.com slash straight from the there source gavin um but but that's my point is that and, and that's the irony of the whole by the way the equipment fire thing is that the Wild also had to play short that game because the norovirus was going through the team where the swine flu actually was. And um, so, I mean, it's just, I don't know. We've, we've beat this to death. But, uh, again, hey, Ryan Carter, uh, theathletic.com the slash uh, straight from the source. Ryan Carter has, uh, has come over here. Ryan, come on down over here. Yeah, come on in, Ryan. What do you think of the job that, uh, that Kevin Gorg and Dan Myers do for this uh, organization? Can't say enough about it. <laughs> <laughs> this is good radio. Uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, the, uh, yeah, the, uh, you would, if, if people oh, saw the me. smile. <clears throat> One mic, two guys. <laughs> no, you guys look good. You guys, uh, have you talked about how closely they're sitting together right now? No, yeah, we need Really this. cute. Yeah, they're together on Kevin a couch. Kevin and Dan Myers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, they are kind of obnoxious to travel with, right? They don't bother me. I'm hard of hearing and sit in front of them, but uh, there, there are some others that uh, you guys have a lot of energy. I, f- I find that to be a good thing. Yeah. Some, pe- some people like to just punch out on the, on, the, on the bird. I'm pretty sure Ryan Carter was the first ever Straight from the Source podcast, if I remember it right, wasn't it? I don't know no? if I was first ever. Who was? Oh, Bruce Boudreaux from his house was one. What a rube. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> hey, can I squeeze in between you guys there? <laughs> oh, man. Let's, let's get a picture of this. No, don't move. No, I'm going to take a picture of this. No, squeeze in. <laughs> this is outstanding. I wish everybody, uh, this will come out uh, with this. Here we go. You guys are in the sun. There we go. This is hot. This is, yeah, it is very hot in here. Here, one more. Do that. Do that look there, uh, Ryan. Perfect. I'm the mic guy. Yeah, yeah. you are. You this is like a, This is like a, an old Ford F-150 bench seat. <laughs> this, is, this is what it was like. This is what it was like for Kevin Gord coming back from Baudette with Anthony LaPanta. Except Dusty Peterson would be tucked in here too. There was four grown men in the front of a tow truck in a 10-hour-plus drive home. With my van in the back, which was totaled. That's not. Now that story has been overplayed. We're yeah, not, that one's been. No, on. no, 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 no. So what would I be? The gummy bears? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? A lot of women out there that would love you to be a gummy bear. Let's just say that you're a dreamy, dreamy former NHL player. Our broadcast ratings have only gone up because you've been a part of them. Well, wasn't the cup holder full of Swedish fish and gummy bears? That's that's Anthony's favorite part of the story. That was in the minivan, which looked like a blender because it had rolled eight times. But in the tow truck, it was just the driver, Dusty, Anthony, and me. Yeah. In a front chassis built for two, four grown men, 10 hours, overnight, after broadcasting for 12 hours, wasn't the highlight of my time With at you FSN. thinking that the insurance company was going to pay for the tow, right? Well, FSN covered the bill, yeah. <laughs> well, my old boss, Jeff Bile, who's now a... Uh, running Fox Sports Detroit, was nice enough to take care of that $1,100 tow truck bill. Uh-huh. I was, I was, yeah, I misread the situation. Yeah, if you don't know what uh, Kevin's talking about, it's on the Anthony LaPanta podcast where they were in a, where they were in a, yeah, the first one with the van podcast, uh, with the, uh, with let's the, not, yeah, let's just, the van rolled over, leaving uh, one of the Hockey Day Minnesota games. It's very dangerous. of the Beavis and Butthead of Wild Travel, Let's talk about you and Anthony LaPanta Let's for a not. here. We're talking about you. This is your podcast. You're the guest. Let's talk about the looks we're getting as people walk past right now. <laughs> <laughs> if this coach could talk, he'd be screaming. Help! <laughs> this coach has literally the worst job in the world right now. <laughs> um, let's just uh, c- a couple more here for uh, for carts. You're more than up. Oh, you're leaving. Yeah, All right. Yeah, it is. It is sort of hot. Uh, let's steam heat. A couple more minutes here with uh, Kevin Gorg and Dan Myers. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the league and potential uh, playoff matchups as well, but let's talk just real quick about the uh, the Wild. Um, obviously, they have been playing really well under Dean Evison, you know, save for last night, which showed just a couple mistakes, and the score got – obviously, the floodgates opened in the last couple minutes, so the score looked a lot more lopsided than it was. Um, but let's start with Kevin Fiala. I don't think that any of us really – after he got here last year and was turning pucks over left and right and didn't produce and wasn't in the greatest shape and did get uh, an injury that we, any of us saw that he had this in him. I mean, he looks like a superstar right now, and he has for two months. And we saw little bits of it, I think, early in the season. It would be two or three games here, two or three games there where he would show these glimpses. And you just were hoping that you'd see more of it. Well, now since... Gosh, probably the middle of January, probably two months, one month for certain. He's been absolutely one of the best players in the NHL, and it's a huge development, I think, for the future of this team when we've all been hearing about Kirill Kaprizov and hopefully he'll be over here next season, and how do you build around him? Well, you know, now you have a guy like Kevin Fiala, and if he is going to be this good now for the future, now you bring Kirill Kaprizov with him, a playmaker like Kevin Fiala, and now you've got something, I think, next year. And you've got Zach Parisi who can still score 25 to 30 goals. And, you know, it's this team's not perfect by any stretch. There's going to be some tasks this summer that Minnesota's going to have to attack, but at least you've, you've, you've got some building blocks and a starting point here. Yeah, and the hope for me is that we look back five years, seven years, eight years down the road and say – what he did in this two-month stretch set him up to be the player he became. You know, Zach Parisi wasn't always Zach Parisi. He wasn't always a guy you punch in for 30 goals every single season. There was a moment early in his career when he started on the fourth line in New Jersey where that light bulb went on and that, that big step was taken. We've seen that step now by Fiala. The hope is there's still more upside because he is still 23 years old because he can do things on the ice a lot of guys can't do. 
the hope now as we look back and say this was it. This was the moment. And I think the challenge for Fiala and for the Wild moving forward is because he's been good for so long, in these final 14 games, teams are going to start to game plan to shut him down. They are going to try to match up their best defensive pairing or top defensive forwards against Kevin Fiala, where for a long while here, you looked at the Wild, and I don't think teams really even had to game plan against somebody like that. He's become that guy now, which is a credit to him. Let me ask each of you some quick-hitting uh, Wild uh, questions. Uh, best first-round opponent if the Wild get in the playoffs? In my mind, knowing the history of this team and who they match up with the best, if they can find a way to the top wild card and match up with the winner on the other side in the Pacific, that gives them the, the best chance to not only win a, a playoff series, you could very easily end up in a conference final. In my eyes, Vegas, they've been very good against Vegas. They've been very good against Edmonton. And I even think Calgary would be an okay matchup as well. But to me, it's all about if you're going to get in, try a way to get to that top wild card spot and match up with the Pacific. I agree, and that's why I said Vegas before, not because I think uh, we deserve it. I, it was for that reason only, as it would be fun. I don't know uh, what my bank account would think after a seven-game series in Las Vegas. but um, Well, I can show you my bank account after I covered them in the st- to the Stanley Cup uh, final couple years. Your bank account is perfectly padded. Um, <laughs> that's not what I meant. plenty but. of playoff series. You, you could probably cover an entire season in Vegas, but uh, – <laughs> Kevin nailed it. I mean, if you can get on that Pacific Division side, and again, nothing against the Pacific Division. There's good teams there, but I just see an easier path forward for Mm -hmm. Minnesota. If you're able to, like you said, Minnesota's always played well against Vegas the the couple years they've been in the league, very competitive games, a lot of success this season against Edmonton. Calgary's, I think, a little bit of a problem, but Vancouver would be another one of those teams that would probably be on that side of the bracket, at least in the mix for one of those top three spots, so. Uh, travel would be significantly more difficult, but I think uh, Minnesota would have uh, a good chance of advancing on that side of the bracket. And at least the Wild are used to travel and long distance and stuff like that. Uh, some more quick hitters for you. Um, Dubnik Stalock, uh, they the uh, tag team next year? I think they will. I think when you look at Alex Stalock and the contract he's on, I mean, what he's given them this year for – what seven hundred and fifty thousand? I mean, yeah, he uh, has three fewer wins and makes nine and a half million dollars less than Sergey Bobrovsky. That's pretty good, right? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure the Panthers would take that trade, but hey, uh, <laughs> I, I think they'll both they'll both be back. And uh, you know, I think Devin Dubnik could be the first one to admit that he needs to be better next year. And he's had a lot of stuff, you know, happen with him off the ice this year. Um, a lot of serious stuff that. Sounds like it is coming along. We hope it's coming along. We haven't really, you know, checked in too much with him, kind of giving him his space. But he's got to come back next year and uh, in what will be a contract year for him. And I think he'll be motivated, a guy who I know for a fact, you know, wants to continue his career well past next year. So uh, that right there in and of itself will be, I think, a motivating factor. I think they're both back. And I think that the Wild were very impressed with Capo Kakinen. When he got his chance, he's had an outstanding season with the Iowa Wild, and, and I think he won three of his four decisions at the big level. And I think, you know, the, the plan would likely be at some point to see him again next mm-hmm. year uh, with the big club. And then after that following season, um, then then the real choice, you know, hits the head. Then you got to figure out, you know, we got to get this kid up here, how we want that to look, how you want to move about your business. and, and hopefully you join? They, they get that done because, you know, it, it's it's a good problem to have. But when you have a young goaltender that, that like Kakanen's done, developed as quickly as he has, at some point he's also going to deserve his chance. And we've got Zach Parisi yeah, Zach, what watching do you think? the – and I know he won't come near us. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we should we, talk about the state high school tournament, actually. Yeah, we talked a little bit. It's, uh, it's, it's a meaty, meaty effort here by Mike Russo. He just gives <laughs> and gives and gives. <laughs> Any thoughts, Zach? Uh, Dan, Zach Parisi, your thoughts. I have great views. The best views, believe me. <laughs> you guys don't agree on politics. We, we don't. It's all right, though. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have that on the plane later. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a good one. Next, here's a quick hitter. Zach Parisi, revisited or not this summer? I don't think so. I, I think he's here for the long haul. I, I think um, for one of the reasons that we just talked about, I think – you know, if you're Zach Parisi and you look at the future of this team now, if you have Kevin Fiala, if you have Kirill Kaprizov, 
Matt Boldy all of a sudden at BC is fantastic. Going to have two more first-round picks this year. I think the building blocks are in place here now uh, to get something done in the coming years. Yeah, I think what this run has shown, I think the veteran players in this room, is some of these younger players are really progressing. You know, Fiala is the obvious one, but I think what gets kind of lost in all the hype around him is how well Luke Cunning has played and his development. Jewel Erickson that continues to look like a young version of Miko Koivu, and we know what type of career that guy has had. And so, yeah, there is some reason to have a little hope if you're Zach Parisi and some of these veterans for can they be good enough to make a cup run? And then you look back at St. Louis last year, and I think the one thing, we know the Wild aren't the St. Louis Blues right now, but if you're going to be good enough, whether it's this year or next year, to get into the playoffs, once you get in, that tournament is unique in that most teams at any level can make a run. Six seed, seven seed, eight seed. We've seen these teams win cups. It happened last year. It's happened before. And so, yeah, I think they're a lot closer than they probably were maybe a year ago. Uh, Miko Koiver retires somewhere else or back? I don't, I don't think he'll be anywhere else. I get the sense that, again, this is my opinion. I get the sense he's, he's going to retire. That's me too. Um, I, I, I 100% would bet that – I shouldn't say 100%. If I were putting money down in Vegas, I don't think we'll, we'll see him in another uniform. I think he'll either be here or retired, and I think personally, uh, as we saw here at the trade deadline with him uh, deciding to stay here, that I think he wants to finish his career here this year and uh, ride off into the sunset, hopefully with a, a playoff run. I, I agree 100%. I, I just don't think Miko Koiba wants to finish – in, in another sweater. I think he, over the years, from our conversations, we've all talked to him, uh, has grown to absolutely love the area, love the fans, and, and love this organization. So they either bring him back on a, on a much less one-year deal or he retires. I don't think there's any other option. I don't see him playing anywhere else. Uh, last question on the quick hitters. Um, center, um, uh, do you feel the Wild will figure out a way to either via trade or free agency really upgrade that position going into next season? If you look at teams that are built to win Stanley Cups, and I'll go right back to St. Louis last year with the addition of Ryan O'Reilly, which put them over the top. Mm -hmm. If you believe that you win with goaltending, solid defense, and great centermen, I would think that that Bill Guerin has to address that and, and likely will address that one way or the other. Uh, most likely, I would guess, via free agency. You mentioned a trade. That's certainly possible. But uh, I would think you know one more big-time center who can win face-offs because this team is dramatically better when they have puck possession on their side, and that starts in the face-off circle. Look at their wins. Look at their losses. I think there's a direct correlation, especially when you have these skilled defensemen that can retrieve those pucks and make plays. That would be an area I would look to upgrade. I kind of think the opposite way. I, don't, I, I look at the free agents available this summer uh, at center, and I, I'm frankly not really that impressed, at least in mm. terms of spending Agree. big money on a guy. Now, there may be a guy out there, if you want to shore up your fourth line, uh, if you see Jule Eriksson moving up, you know, into maybe a second line role. If you want to slot Luke Cunning in, however you want to draw it up. One way or another, though, they're going to have to find a way to go get a big time center. And I think there's going to be at least one out there. And you've mentioned his name before, and you, know, you hear the rumblings out of Buffalo, or maybe mm -hmm. someone there that's not very happy, someone that doesn't like the the direction that team's going, and. I tell you what, if I'm the Wild, I, I find a way to go make that happen. Yeah. And if that means you got to overpay a little bit, then you got to go overpay. But he's the kind of guy. He's the the type of talent that you need to find a way to bring into this organization because he can solidify that center spot for a decade. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, uh, you know, my biggest thing is if I'm Billy Guerin, I definitely try to attack some of these teams that are have – again, failed to make the playoffs, whether it's Detroit with Larkin, whether it's Buffalo with Eichel. This could all be pipe dreams, whether it's Florida with, you, you know. Swing dream. Yeah. yeah, dream high. Why um, wouldn't you? Yeah, you might as well, right? I mean, it, because that's where it can put this team over the top. And if I'm going to, you know, even consider trading Brodine or Dumbo, to me it's got to be for a true blue chip, number one center that's going to be a game-changing 
type of acquisition for this organization. And as Dan just said, yeah, as Dan just said, though, there's none of those are available in free agency. Zero. None. Yeah, then you have to make a move. Yeah. And if you got to package up one of your yep. defensemen, like you mentioned, and a yep. draft pick, you've got seven of them. Yep. Then if it's that type of player, and you mentioned mm-hmm. Eichel's name, sounds crazy, but that would be phenomenal. Yep. When you look at, two that, that trade with Pittsburgh, and you, you deal Jason Zucker, who's off to a great start in Pittsburgh, you know, great for him, congrats for him. He's, he's playing on a great line. But, you know, you, you think about that f- extra first-round pick, and you have to wonder if you're, you're Billy Guerin, if he kind of forecasted that, if he knows that he has to go get a center this month, that's just another asset, another chip he has in the arsenal to go try and make that happen. The, uh, by the way, uh, that coach that I sent the picture of why I wasn't replying to him right away, uh, telling him I was doing a podcast, he wrote back, that is one ugly picture. <laughs> so. It's three favorite people. <laughs> um uh, just real quick, couple last last uh, little ones. Uh, team to beat in the West and the East, Dan. Well, of course, Minnesota team to beat. Uh, honestly, though, Dan uh, knows where his paychecks are signed. I I think if if Miko Rantanen comes back healthy, the the question, the only question I have at that point then with Colorado is is Philip Grubauer able to? And I know he's been hurt, but Colorado up front and on defense is so fast and so good um that's a good question i don't think st louis is gonna repeat i i honestly i'll tell you i think the west is wide open like yeah. if you're if you're the wild this year or any one of the four or five teams that are within a point of the playoffs right now and you can find a way in like you've got a chance because i think the west is wide open in the east uh I think Tampa Bay is is going to avenge last year's short run. They've been uh, unbelievable. They've been unbelievable. It's because they haven't played the Wild. Correct. The, they are uh, the Wild has had good success against Tampa, but uh, I like Tampa in the East. I'll take Colorado in the West if they're healthy. If they're not. Gosh, it is wide open. I don't really care for any of the Pacific Division teams. St. Louis will be in the mix, but I'll take Tampa to win the whole thing. I think St. Louis absolutely can repeat. I think they're the best team in the West. They're the the one team I would not want the Wild to match up with if and when they got in the playoffs. They are built for playoff hockey. They're a physical team. They're strong down the middle. Bennington has proven to be the real deal. If I look at the Eastern Conference, I would say Washington is the team to beat. They've been on cruise control now for two months. They've been playing 500 hockey. But when they crank it up, and we saw that uh, against the Wild here in the recent weeks, um, they're a pretty special team. Ovechkin has proven me wrong because for years I didn't think he could lead a team to that promised land. He's a different player now. He clearly can. They ride him. He's phenomenal. And I, I really think they're the team to beat. If I'm looking for sleepers, um, I think Vegas is, is a very sneaky team. They've got two goaltenders now, not just one, and I think that's important. Yep. Uh, the addition of Leonard to me is, is a big, big factor in handicapping what Vegas can do. I think they are absolutely a sleeper to make a cup run, and I think that Philadelphia team, and good for Chuck Fletcher and good for Mike Yo, our old friends over in Philly, that looks like a team that I would not want to play come playoff time. Gorgie, just uh, real quick, uh, give a, a kind of a final analysis of the state high school tournament and uh, what happened there. Well, it was phenomenal. On the Class A side, uh, a big upset. Bottom and I not expected to, to make a run at all. Not one of the top-seeded teams. Uh, not one of their best teams. They've been to the tournament four years in a row. This was probably the least talented team on paper. They take down Hermantown in the final uh, spectacular fashion in overtime. Phenomenal game. Double-A side was wide open. It was the deepest double-A tournament I've seen in years. So it reaped of maybe having some upsets. And Hill Murray was the five seed coming into the tournament, but they were one of the higher-ranked teams throughout the year. They rallied from two goals down to win a section final. They were on the tough side of the bracket, and they got it done. And they upset Eden Prairie in the championship game because they were a deep team. And I think when you play three games in three nights, Hill Murray was able to go deep into that bench. They played three sets of D. They let their fourth line also play. Bill Lechner is tournament-tested, and they have one of the best goalies in the state. So even though Eden Prairie on paper was probably the better team, Hill Murray dominated that championship game and deserved that championship, and I think that is the real test at tournament times. You know, on the double-A side, you got to play three consecutive nights. That is not easy to do mm. under that pressure at that high level. Class A, you got to play three and four. Uh, so congratulations to Jeff Pojol and Matamidi, and congratulations 
to Bill Lechner and Hill Murray. It was a great tournament. You talked about Hill Murray's depth, and they used that same recipe in the uh, in the section final against White Bear Lake, and that was really the separator for them in that game. Was White Bear Lake played essentially the last period with two lines, and Hill Murray continued to roll those four lines. They scored the shorthanded goal late in that game uh, against a tired power play, and we've been talking all year long, people in, in high school hockey, about how wide open this year's state tournament would be. And I guess it was just fitting that it was a five seed versus a three seed in the championship game, and the five seed won. Roll Pios. Yep. <laughs> I'm a big Pioneers guy. Well, well, guys, this is uh, definitely another fun episode well, of Straight no, from the no Source. No Maverick hockey talk? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. that off. They yeah. uh, survived against the Seawolves, and we're happy for them. Good job. That conference is very top-heavy, but we're happy for your Mavericks. Over an hour, and I was promised in an Outburger. So, yeah. So, let's chop chop here. Let's yeah. get to lunch. Yep, yep. Uh, to uh, the rest of the season, make sure you watch Kevin Gorg on Fox Sports North. Rest of the season, make sure you read Dan Myers on Wild.com. Uh, obviously, we're coming to you before the Anaheim game. If you're a Wild fan, I'm sure you're hoping that you've read a, a very fun, interesting story about by both Dan and myself tonight. Otherwise, where all those quotes will be gathered in the spacious <laughs> hallways of the Honda Center. <laughs> that is funny. Uh, don't forget to please rate and subscribe straight from the source on Apple. If you click on the show URL, which is theathletic.com/slash straight from the source, you'll get 40% off your subscription to the Athletic. Thanks, Dan and Kevin. Thank you.